This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Yeah, we're starting. Parsh Mitzorah, everybody. So we're going to talk about a, a Pusik within Sarasa Batim. Paragud Dalit Pusik Lamed Zayin. It says, Varoas Anega. He sees the nega. This is referring to the coin. The nega bikiros abayis. The nega is in the walls of the house. Shkaruros yurak rakosu adam damos. Shkaruros seems to mean deep set inside the walls themselves. Yurak rakos means a bright green or a bright red. The colors look bright green or bright red. But Marayan shuffle here. And again, the appearance looks a little bit deeper than the rest of the walls around it. Now we think of saras as a white spot, different variations of white, whether it's snow white or wool, white as uh, snow white, white as wool, or white as the plaster or white as an egg, right? Those are the four different types of white. We don't think of Tsaras as being any other color, but it is. Tsaras habatim and begadim, if you have Tsaras on clothing or on houses, it's red or green, a bright red and a bright green, but it's not white. White is not considered a mare on the house itself. On a bald head or on eyebrows, it's a reddish white color. On hair, if a person gets it in his hair, it turns a yellowish color. It's not just white. White appears on the skin itself. That's how the nega appears on the skin itself. On bus or a michya, some type of a flesh wound that a person has, that it goes through. But this sarasabatim is a reddish or greenish color. And whether it existed or not ever, whether it ever existed or not, that the Gemara goes through, it may never have happened. But it's certainly a different color from what everybody's used to. It's not something that anybody recognizes. The Rabbeinu Bechaya starts off this Parsha and he says, we've gone through nine of the 10 different maros, and this is number 10. This is our last mara. Six are on a person. There's a se'es, the baharas, and the sapachas to both of them. We've said that's four different white colors. Sapachas really means secondary to those. He calls it a shin, which is a boil that ended up getting a spot, a nesek, which is another type of wound that ended up getting a spot, and marita sarosh, which is another type of an injury that a person had, almost like the baldness of the head. Then there are four outside the person's body. Outside the person's body, there's beged semer, there's beged pishtim, there's clay ore that's linen, wool, and, and leather, and kirosabayas, and on the walls of one's house. Those ten correspond to, obviously, the aseris adibros. And the way we understand it is, if we keep the Asaras Adibros, then we have nothing to worry about these ten Nigayim. And it's actually brought in the Midrash Tadsha in this week's Parsha, Parakhtesvav, that it's exactly that. These Asaras Adibros, you keep them properly, there are no issues with the Asar Nigayim. No issues with what might happen, everything's good. Now the word Shkaru Ros is a very strange one. This word Shkaru Ros, is a very strange one. Art school translates it as deep depressed in the walls of the house. That means literally it looks like it's depressed in. It's almost like pressed in so much that it makes like an indentation inside the wall. It's like if you take a ball, and I'm sure none of you know this from experience, and you take a ball and you whip it really hard against the wall and you make that little impression there. So the spot, the reddish or greenish spot, makes that little impression. It looks like it's deeper and depressed into the wall itself. It's like it's part of the wall. With Aryeh Kaplan in the Living Torah calls it penetrating streaks. Streaks that seem to go in, not just a spot, but rather literally lines that go into the wall that appear in that way based on Targionis. And he says it's Meshakin, Shokia means to sink in in Rashi. The Rambam also passes when Hilkos Tumas Saras, Targidala Hagimel, that's the way he understands it. 
Although there seems to be an extra rash in the Pasuk, if that's true, because it's Shkaru Ros. Shkaru Ros shouldn't be Shkaru Ros. If it's Shakua, if it's sunk in, then it should be Shakuos. Not Shkaru Ros, but Shakuos, sunk into the wall itself. So what's the extra rash? The Malvam says, and the Malvam is an expert at these types of things, going into the words throughout Tanakh, quite often you'll see a rash added on to certain words. Like the word Shavit is a, is a rod. Sharvit is a scepter used by the king. The word Ratfash refers to dirtiness. Tofash is the idea behind it, like dirt and dust. And so to Saraf instead of Si'if. There is that idea where the rash is added on, and although I can't explain why, the Malvam doesn't seem to say an answer either, but there's a race that's added on to this Pusik and that's that. The Torah Tamima, what Baruch Hapsin says, when you remove the outer layer of the plaster or bricks or anything that might be on the wall itself, the outer part of the wall, you're able to see this Mara. It still appears. See, even when you start cutting down, you start cutting down the wall, cutting down the wall, and you get behind the outer part of the wall itself, you're somehow able to find this Mara as well. He says, it's clear that there's a special drusha that has to be mended over here because there's something wrong with the word itself. And that's why we have Shkaru Rose. It's something that's deeper, something that's a little bit extra. He says the following. This is what the Torah to me says, and I saw it in three other Sfarim as well. Normally, how many letters does a word have as a shoresh in Hebrew? A normal root word, three letters, right? Normal root words are always three letters. Every exception to that rule, whenever there's an exception to that, where there's more than three letters as a shoresh, as the root, every time the Gemara darshans it and says something's wrong with this word. For example, totafos is a word that's used to describe tefillin. It's not a three-letter word. Totafos is test, test, pay, tough. That's the name of the tefillin. It's called totafos. The Gemara darshans it and says, it can't be that this refers to tefillin. You know what totafos refers to? Does anybody know? Offhand? It's more than that. It's tat and pas. Anybody remember this, Gemara? Tat means two, and pas means two. And that's how we know you have four bottom in your tefillin. The Gemara Menacho says it's darshan from totafos. But why? It means tefillin. Everybody agrees it means tefillin. But we're darshaning the letters because there's an extra added letter there. It's the exact same thing by talpios. It's tel shakoponinbo. It's the mound, the mountain that everybody faces when they dive in their Shemona Esrei. That's referring to the base of Mikdash. That's telpios. Because again, telpios, what's the shoresh? Talaf? Tuflam and pei? No. Telpios is the shoresh. There's no letters that are extra there. That is the actual shoresh. So to a taltalim, chashmal, as the mawach that's talked about in Yechesko and Paragalath, as well as mamzer. The word mamzer. The word is not mazar, which is actually how Rashi translates it. It's mamzer is the actual word. So the Gemara says, what does that mean? It means a mumzar. Because again, if it's more than three letters, so too over here, there's a drusha from shkaru ros in which we don't understand it. The word doesn't make any sense. Shkaru ros doesn't have a shorish. Is it shin kuf ayin? Then what's with the resh, says the Torah Tamima? Is it shin kuf ayin resh? Shakar? Fine, then it's four letters. What's the drusha? That's why the Gemara darshans out what Shkaruros means and says it must be that it's depressed into the wall, sunk into the wall, something different, because it doesn't make sense to be a four-letter shorish with nothing else to it. Targum Onkelos says a weird word, and this is my drush. I'm not positive this is what he's saying. He says the word pachosin, as if it's eating away from the wall and eroding. 
it seems like it's literally eroding the wall, taking down the wall itself, as if you look at it and you're like, there's a whole chunk missing. There's literally a chunk missing. Now again, this is one of the rayas that Saras is not leprosy. First of all, leprosy could never appear on top of a wall or on clothing. It's impossible. But aside from that, leprosy is an inflammation of the skin. It's an inflammation that grows when a person has it on their skin, and it's darkened, and it looks like a big blister. This is something that looks depressed into the wall. It looks sunk in. It looks like it cut out a piece of the wall. And so, too, that's how it appears in the skin. Your skin doesn't look like it's got something on top. It looks like it literally got rid of skin. Like you have something missing in your skin. That's what it's supposed to look like. And therefore, because of that, it cannot be some type of, of leprosy out there. But that's how I think Targumunculus is saying it. Yeah. Not only what? That's what it seems like. That is going into us of a person as well. I mean, it, yes, in some way. Then it seems surprisingly says it doesn't make a difference. It could be the spot is deeper than the wall around it, or the spot is on top, and it's the walls around it look deeper. It could be both. It could be either one. I'm not sure which one or why the Nitziv has to say it that way, but that's what he ends up saying. The Ibn Ezra says, there's no other word in the Torah quite like it. And he says, I'm not quite sure how to translate it, but he likes saying the following. He likes saying that it's a combination of the word shakua and roar. What's roar? Roar appears in one other place in Tanakh, and it happens to be in this week's Parsha. Roar bisaro. If he has some type of literally dribbling, where it's something drools out from an area of the body that's called Ror Bissaro. That's Resh Resh. Shkaruros, therefore, is sunk in and it looks like something leaked inside there. If there's something that looks like, really, it's like a mold spot. It looks like something was leaking down and there's something in there. So it looks sunken and roar, says the Ibn Ezra. That's how you understand it. The Radak in his Shorashim, in his roots, says this just means a darkened area. It might be the streaks or the signs that we spoke up above, the way that they understood it, Ravariya Kaplan maybe, or the Rambam and Rashi, etc. The Rashbam says it's another Mara. There's Adam Damos, which is red, Yurak Rakos, which is green, and Shkaru Rose, which is a color that we don't know. So the Rashbam says it's an actual color. What color is it? I don't know, but it's a color. It's a color of some sort, maybe a yellowish color, maybe an orangish color, but there's another color called Shkaru Rose that Shakar is a type of color. The truth is, if you look at all the Crayola crayons and all the different words that they have to describe every single color, it makes sense that Hebrew would have different words to describe every color as well. So even though we don't see this color anywhere else in Tanakh, it's possible we don't know what this type of saras is. We've never seen it before. So maybe it is referring to a type of color that we've never seen, like a magenta-type color that we don't have a translation for in Hebrew. And shkaros is exactly that word. So it doesn't mean sunk in like the other Rishonin. It means a color, an actual color that goes through there. There's a mincha blue on this as well. Shari Allen says, the other Rishonin, right, the other Rishonin don't work. Since up until now, we've always used the word omek, amek, something deep to describe when it seems something deep. And even at the end of the Pasuk, it says, the appearance is deeper than the wall. So why would Shkaruros also mean deeper? Shkaruros shouldn't mean deeper. Shkaruros should mean something else, like an actual color, because later on it says it looks deeper than the wall itself. It seems weird that Shkaruros would mean that way. Therefore, the Rashbam said it has to mean a color. Or the Ibn Ezra says it has to be dribbling down, something a little bit different to make it a little bit different than what it was up above. He suggests that this is telling us that these negayim are only issues when they appear on stones. Not on wood, not on metal. 
if these saras, these little things, appear on wood or metal, it means nothing to us. It's only if it appears on stone. So I'm just, it, it, just in our minds, most of our walls, most of our walls, not all of them, are made with drywall or plaster. There's no way to have a mara negayim sarasabatim by plaster. Like these walls over here are made of plaster. They're not made of anything huge. You can knock on them, and they're, 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 you know you have they're hollow and they go straight through. It's just a regular drywall. That would never have a mara. It wouldn't have a mara, and you wouldn't be able to see it. Even the walls that are back there, where the outside is brick, the inside is still plaster. The inside is still some type of drywall or some hardened plaster that would never have an issue. It would only appear on a type of stone, maybe a brick. I'm not sure if a brick would be the same exact thing. That's the only way these maras would appear. So it says the Shariaron, maybe that's why it says Shkaruros. If it would have said some other word, maybe you'd think it appears in this way, that way. Shkaruros tells me, no, the deeper it is, it has to appear on stone. It has to look deeper in the stone. It has to be this way. And it's there specifically to tell you how this appears, how it's supposed to appear in front of everybody else. And maybe that's the reason why it says Shkaruros more than anything else. It doesn't refer to the stones necessarily, but rather the, I, I guess, some type of the weird color that comes on them and only on those and not anything else. So that's how the Shariaron understands it. Whatever exactly it means, there's a size to this. According to the Torah's Quanim, the spot must be two grisen. Two grisen. Now, a gris is around three quarters of an inch by one and a half inches in size. Three quarters of an inch by three quarters of an inch is a gris. Two grisen would be one and a half inches by three quarters of an inch. There will be two grisen side by side, right like that. The Torah and Tamima and the Malvam say that it's learned from our Pusuk. It could have said, He saw the nega, and it was in the walls of the house. But it says the word nega twice, meaning it's got to be the size of two negayim. It's got to be two greasin, and if it's not that size, it's not going to be a problem. You won't have that issue with it. Since the Puzzle says there are kirosabayas, walls of the house, it sounds like the house has to have walls. Kiros and kiros, meaning two walls and two walls. Meaning there has to be a four walled house. If a house is circular, no issue of Tsurasabatim. The house is three walls, no issue of Tsurasabatim. House is five walls, no issue of Tsurasabatim. So if you wanted to get around Tsurasabatim, don't make a house with four walls. Don't make a house with four walls, then you won't have the problem. If you have a bigger area, it might be it might be a completely different house. I have no idea what would be with our houses that we have today? I would love to look this up. I didn't have time this week, and I kept thinking to myself, what would be with our houses where many of them are rectangular? If you own a Georgian, then it's a rectangular house. But a lot of houses have these little things jutting out from them, and the actual structure of the house has extra parts to it where it's not exactly a square. It's not exactly four walls. There's like a fifth wall and a sixth wall added on this place and that place. What does that count out to? Let's say you have a garage that sticks out a little bit from the house, but it's still a part of the house itself. Well, it's no longer four walls because you're adding on those walls as well. So I don't know what the actual status of our houses would be. Obviously, we're not in Eretz soil anyway. But if it would be in Eretz soil, what would be the status? Maybe, I, I don't even know, maybe they had a minute back then to make circular houses to make sure that they wouldn't have Sarasabatim. Maybe they rounded off a wall like people did by Talasim in order to make sure they wouldn't have four corners so they wouldn't be machayv themselves in sitzes. Maybe they rounded off one wall so they would always have three walls and they wouldn't have to worry about it. They wouldn't have to worry about this thing of having four walls altogether. But it's learned out from that two kiros. It says kiros, kiros in the Pasuk. And therefore, it has to appear somehow, according to Shimbingam Leal, 
on the two walls together where one part of the nega is there, the other part of the nega is there, and you can see it on both walls together. The Rabbanans say it can even be on one wall, but it's a machlokis at least, how to be able to translate these words. And Atif talks about this, and obviously in the Gemara as well, it talks about this idea, right, where it goes through, goes through everything. But now we're going to go into Ramazan. All this is regarding the actual status of the walls and everything like that. But what do these psukim mean? What do they really mean? And how do they affect us? Meaning, we're trying to learn not just the translation of the Pasuk. How do we get affected by Tzorah The Gemara says, Tzorah It never was, never will be. So why did the Torah tell us about it? Tzorah is not ever going to happen. And the Torah knew it was never going to happen. HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew. Then why put it in? And the Gemara answers, Yagdol Torah V'yadir, to add on to the Torah itself. So right there, you ask, so what's the Yagdol Torah V'yadir? What are you adding on to? Why are you adding on with this and not anything else? So we have three different answers that I'm going to go through. It's Pharisee son, Rabbi Yonis and Ipshitz, who says a crazy answer. Rabbi Moshe Alshech, the Talmud, one of the Talmudim of the Arizal, the Alshech himself, and the Orachayim HaKadosh. Here's the first one. Rabbi Yonis and Ipshitz says, these three words, Shkaru Ros, Yurak Rakos, and Adam Damos, stand for the three sins that are so terrible, we call them the big three. Gili Orayas, Shvichos Damim, and Avodah Zarah. And all three of them are hinted to within these three words over here. These are the three that we say, your Yarog Val Yavor. A person should die rather than commit, should die rather than be over on. And now, he explains them. Says Rabbi Yonason, Shkaruros means being sunk into the depravity of Avodazara. Being so depraved and so disgusting that you do whatever those who worship Avodazara do. You do everything that they're into. That's Shkaruros. You're Shakua. You're sunk in. You're doing horrible things. Yurakrakos, a person who does Arias, has a green face. The Gemara tells us that there's a green tint to such a person. Even though we can't see it, we can't look at a person and see that he did it rise. There was an appearance that a person had where every time he did something, this was what happened to him. Simon Le'Avera Yarkon, says the Gemara. Simon Le'Avera is Yarkon, a green face, a greenish tint that you could see that person itself. That's Yurak Rakos for Gilearias. And Adam Damos, the red color, obviously is Shvichos Damim, the spilling of the red blood causing the blood to be spilled. Obviously, that's the idea behind it. When a person sins, there are witnesses that say in front of HaKadosh Baruch what this guy did. And one of the witnesses is are the Kiro Sabayas, the walls of your own home. That you think you can do things by the privacy of your home and nobody sees you. Nobody has any idea that you did it. And HaKadosh Baruch says, I'm going to bring in the walls of your house and they're going to testify against you. I think it's obvious. I think everybody can understand this nowadays. The walls of your house means the video cameras that are in every house and every wall. Oh, well, we just have one by the baby just because, you know, the baby monitor. But the walls that people have in their house, those walls, the video cameras, the monitors are going to come up in front of a Kurdish particle and say, here's what he did. We're going to have actual walls testifying. And that's what the Gemara means, that there's going to be Kiros Abayi Sarah testimony against him. Eben mi Kirtizak. The stone from the wall itself is going to cry out loud to a Kaddish Baruch and say, how dare he do this? Therefore, when a person sins, it's able to be seen in the walls of the house. And it appears as a nega that has to be taken care of. When the people were holy enough to deserve it, you could look at the person's house and you could see it happen. It could be right there. There'd be mold on the side of the house, which we called Sarasavatim, some type of mold, which was spiritual, that came only when a person sinned, and it came up and it has it right there. These, we know, 
we know that Tuma thrives in a Rishusa Rabbin, in a public area. And the reason why is because the epitome of Tuma is Asav. Asav known as the Ish Sada, the man of the field. He wants to be out in the field. Don't Bound, don't make boundaries for me. Don't close me in and say that I have to stay inside here. No, I'm going to break out. I'm going to do what I want to do. He pushes his way out, pushes his way around everything else. And he says, I don't want to live in a closed environment. That's an Asa. That's a Russia who cannot say I have Gidarim. He has no Gidarim. He does whatever he wants. That is an Asa. He's in East Sada. But Yaakov Avinu is in Yoshev Al-Halim. He sat in a tent, a closed-off tent. He had Gidarim for himself. He said, there are certain things that I just can't do, and I'm not going to do. That's not going to happen. He lived in seclusion, and he understood the concept, the halachos of Tznias itself. That's what he did for himself, and he understood such a thing. Sadikim are those who are able to, to beat Sadikim even when they know no one else is watching. I've always said the halachos of going to the bathroom. No one else is going, or I hope, no one else is going to know if you follow those halachos. How to take toilet paper, to use the hand that you don't put your tefillin on, and to use all fingers except for the middle, the, the middle, the opposite, I'm sorry. I put my tefillin on my right hand. So you put it on the hand that you put your tefillin on, and to use every finger but the finger where the tefillin wraps around. So you use these four fingers to be able to, to with your toilet paper. This is not halacha. No one is going to check up on you. Either you do it or you don't do it. To be tsunua in a bathroom, to be tsunua when you know no one else is watching, closing the door, you either are or you aren't. That defines a tzaddik, a person who's able to do things when no one else knows about it. That's a Yaakov Avinu, a Yoshev Ohalim, who's able to go around. The Negayim, that are working on the kir of the house, on the wall of the house. You know what they're doing? They're trying to knock down the walls so that they're no longer there and you're out in the open. They're trying to take your closed off and putting in a little area. And you know what they're saying to you? They're saying to you, let's leave it open. Let's let everybody do whatever they want. That's what these Negayim are trying to do. They're taking all the walls of Kiddush and turning it into a Rosh Hashanah an area for Esau. That's what's happening if you bring too much Tuma inside. It affects the Kiddush of the house and it breaks through. No more Rosh Hashanah. The world becomes one big Rosh Hashanah where anything can happen and Tuma rules. Says Rabbi Yonas and Ayipshitz, and this is an unbelievable idea. Chazal say, Mitzafon tiposeach The evil comes from the north. Why does the evil come from the north? Here's what Chazal said. Chazal say that up north, and this refers to all the way up north, it's a Rishus HaRabim. There's no barrier. There's no border. It's open, so to speak. Open. Mitzafon tiposeach literally means it's an open area as if the world is wide open. And anything can get in, and that's where Tuma and Kishuf and the Tzad, the Sitra Achra, brings itself in from the north, from all the way up north itself. We know that the world is round. We know that the world is round. We know there's a North Pole, but we know the world is round. And we also we look at the world and we wonder what's Chazal talking about? The world is open? What does it mean the world's open? How is there an opening? We can go straight across the North Pole. There's no opening up there. And what's it open to? It open to another dimension? Like, oh, what does that mean? What kind of evil is coming in? And we have no idea what this Maimar Chazal is. Says Rabbi Yonas and for years, people made fun of Chazal. For years, they said, what do you mean? There's nothing up there. What are you talking about? But we're not privy to the conversation the Chazal have. Obviously, they're referring to Olam HaSal Yonim, worlds above. We have no idea what it refers to in our physical world. They're not referring to our north. They're referring to the north of what they have in the Olam HaSal Yonim, whatever that means. But he says, 
in our world we can actually see it with our own eyes. The continents of Africa, Europe, and Asia are obviously connected to each other. We have Africa, Europe, and Asia right here. They're connected to one another. And surrounding them all are huge oceans. The Indian Ocean on the bottom, right? You have the Pacific Ocean on the east side, Atlantic Ocean on the west side. You have the Arctic Ocean up top. They're surrounded entirely. The sea, water, stops Tuma. Kishuf doesn't work in water. Tuma has no shaykhis to water. It's one of the reasons why they started the first Mako was dam, because water cannot be affected by Kishuf. So they couldn't make water into blood. They can make it look like blood, but they can't make water into blood itself. So they change things around. But the entire world, so to speak, is a Rishusayachid. It's Rishusayachid. It's surrounded by water. It's like the famous Chuva of Ramosha when he talks about Manhattan, how he says Manhattan cannot have an Eruv, but it happens to be that Manhattan is a perfect Eruv. It is an island surrounded by water on all four sides. The bridges knock it out, and the amount, sheer amount of people that live in Manhattan knocks it out. But back in the day, before Manhattan became the Manhattan, it was the perfect A-roof. The perfect A-roof. And like Staten Island as well, you take away the bridges. Staten Island is a total island. When you have an island, there's nothing better. You're surrounded by water. So too. And even the Americas, North and South and Central America, surrounded by water on all four sides. All four sides completely surrounded. It's a Rishos Yachid. It's a complete and utter Rishos Yachid. So how could there be a Rishos Rabin? Well, the answer is, is obvious. How did animals get to America? Let's say we had the Mabel. So Noah had taken all the animals onto the table. But some animals definitely came to America. There were people that definitely came to America. How did they get to America? Says Rabbi Yonason, Simply put, the Bering Strait. Originally, Russia and Alaska were connected to one another. When? Okay, that's a little, little bit of a shiloh. But the Bering Strait was connected. Alaska and Russia were connected to one another. And you were able to walk over from Russia to Alaska. It would have made Sarah Palin really, really happy. It made her a lot easier. Does anybody get that joke? You have to be like a little older to get that joke. So, okay. Either way, but it went right across. And it could be, he says, they were even connected somehow to Greenland all the way to Europe. Maybe Greenland was a little bit further and that it was there, which meant there was one strip of land that went all across the entire world, around the round world, that did not get surrounded. There was nothing on the east or the west. There was one strip of land that was not surrounded by water. One strip of land that was all there. That's what it means, that in the north, there's one strip of land that allows there to be a Rishus Arabim. And if it's a Rishus Arabim, where there's nothing surrounding it, so to speak, even though you have stuff in the north, stuff in the south, but it goes all the way around, nothing surrounding it, that means the Rishus Arabim. Rishus Arabim is where Tuma lies. And maybe, he says, you know why Shadim don't work nowadays? You know why there's not as much Tuma in the world with different Tuma? But the powers of Tuma, the Kochas of Tuma, don't work as hard? Because the Bering Strait is gone. And Alaska and Russia separated. Greenland and Europe separated. And when it separated, it stopped more Tuma and Kishuf and Shadim coming into the world. So it's all gone now. It's all gone. That's why it's not there. So the fact that there was Pangea, right, that suddenly separated from each other in some way, shape, or form, right, where everything changed, that allowed for Tahara to be in this world. It's possible that that allowed for there to be Tahara in this world. It's an unreal Rabionis and Ibjits. Just that Rabionis and Ibjits, it's crazy. And he says it's all hinted to in this Pusik, referring to this idea of Rosh Rab versus Rosh Yachid, referring to what we, refer, what we have over here. Ramosha Moshe has another idea. His idea is, is that we know Tzorosavatim is a warning to a person, telling him that this will happen to himself if he doesn't get his act together. Stop doing what you're doing, or else it's going to go to your clothing, then it's going to go to you. It starts off in your house, then eventually goes to you. We know that. 
for now only his house is being affected, but we know it's going to end up happening. The truth is, the house could refer to the person himself. A person is like a house. A person is like a house itself. When a person speaks Lashon Hara, his neshama itself goes to speak to a Kaddish Baruch Hu and says, help me, get me out of this place. I don't want to be here anymore. The neshama doesn't want to be part of the person's body when the guy is speaking Lashon Hara. So he tells him what's going on. So that means the one Asher Loha bias, the one who has a house, the neshama, goes to the Kohen. Who's the Kohen? HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Kohen. He goes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he says, there's a nega in this house. The nega is the Lashon Hara this guy speaks. I can't be here, says the Neshama. I can't be around. Please get me out. Get me out of this place. The Kohen then tells him, the Neshama, clear out the house. Make yourself stronger. Push yourself in over there. Make the guy holier. Make himself more spiritual. Before I come to inspect him, we all know what happens. If the coin comes to inspect the house and he knows it's tummy, what does he tell the guy to do? What do you have to tell the guy to do? Go to the guy, he goes to the house and he says, clear out the house. Get all your stuff out. Because once I declare it tummy, everything in it is tummy. So get all your stuff out and then I'll declare it tummy. So it says HaKadosh Baruch to this guy, clear yourself out or else I have to get involved. And if I declare the body tummy, then the guy is going to die. Clear everything out. Try to do everything you can. And the Neshama does it. He tries to flush out the system. He tries to make everything better. But unfortunately, if it doesn't work, then the Nega appears bigger and bigger and bigger in the house. And even when you scrape it down, you get Yisurin and punishments one after the other, it keeps coming back. Meaning that Lashon Hara comes back again and again and again. The guy keeps speaking it. Then it gets worse and worse until finally a Kodesh Baruch who says, I can't deal with this anymore. And he knocks down the house. Meaning he kills the person. Chas v'shalom, that should happen to anybody. It's similar to the effects of smoking. That's really what happens. It's slowly but surely scarring the lungs, scarring the lungs, scarring the lungs. The first smoke, okay, maybe it's not going to happen so much. But as you go on and on and on, it kills. It just destroys one by one by one. And the same thing with drinking. Literally destroying the liver little by little by little, knocking down the liver till nothing's left. That's the idea behind it over here. These are the red and green lines. It's literally scarring the human body. Scarring the house is the remez behind it, telling us what happens when one goes in this type of a direction. Obviously, there's seven days involved. Full tshuva involves a person like sort of recreating himself. And that's the idea behind what we're trying to say over here, that it takes a lot to be able to get there. And unfortunately, if it never happens, then death is the only result. The result is that a person has to die in order for this to happen. That's that. The Orachayim HaKadosh says a very similar idea to the Alshech. The Orachayim lived about 200 years after the Alshech, about 200 years. He lived in Morocco and then moved to Eretz Yisrael. The Orachayim HaKadosh also says the body, the human body, is the house that we're referring to that houses the soul. The Kohen is also a Kaddosh Baruch Hu, quoting the Zohar, etc. When a Russia follows the ways of the Yitzhahara and he can't stop himself, the Nigei B'nei Adam, what goes wrong, we're not saying Lashon Hara specifically, just follows his Yitzhahara and does certain things, it ruins the Neshama that was placed in his body to influence him to do, the, do good, and he eventually starts scarring the soul itself. It goes the opposite way. It's as if he's causing literally pain to the Neshama, which shouldn't happen, which should not happen. HaKadosh Baruch who sees the soul, 
sees how corrupt it's become. That this person is shakua, that's the shkaruros in sins. He can't get himself out of it. He's shakua in all this. He's irakrakos, his face is green. Adamdamos, his blood is flowing in the wrong direction. His taiva is tremendously crazy. And he can't get rid of himself. Shevet Shimon was known as green for this reason. They had the green emerald as their stone because they couldn't get over that Arias, as we mentioned before. Laman Gimel and Aleph and Shabbos talks about such a thing. In the end, Adam Dumos, this guy is doing anything under the sun. He follows everything that his taiva wants him to do. He can't get himself over it. Everything in front of him, he sees this, that's mutter. Why can't I do that? If I could do this, I might as well do this. What does a Kaddish Baruch Hu do for such a person to take him out of his terrible ways? He's not relying on the soul to take the person out. The Orachayim HaKadosh says, no. First thing is to keep him away from everybody else. He puts him in Nidoy. Maybe that can be through taking down his money. Not allowing him to have any money to spend so he can't go out and do the terrible things he wants to do. Maybe that's the first thing he does in order to stop him from doing those type of things. Just totally takes away everything from him. Everything, his home, his car, his family, everything from him. So he's in need he's by himself. If that helps him, awesome, awesome. He'll improve himself and everything's there. And if not, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to go to drastic measures. The Yisurin of Eo, knocking down, that's the Tocha bias that you scrape off the part of the house. HaKadosh Baruch Hu literally scrapes onto his body Yisurin, in which he has to go through unbelievable health scares in order to make him feel like, oh my gosh, I have to do something now. Not only has he lost his money and his family, he's also lost his body and he has nothing left. It's almost literally exactly what happened to Eov itself. And if even that doesn't happen, he still doesn't do tshuva and his evil, he continues doing his evil ways, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I have no choice, I've got to kill you. There's no choice of you. I can't let you be in this world anymore. This is worse for you. I'd rather take you out first than have you keep doing what you're doing itself. I'm not positive, but I saw a hint in the Orachai Makadosh. The Orachai Makadosh doesn't say these things directly anyway. There are hints to it throughout, and sometimes they it a little more direct. Over here, I don't know if he's saying it or not, but I wonder if he's talking about Gilgulim in a way, where he says that a person can't handle it the first time around so he gives him a second chance. He lets him come back a second time to see what he can do the second time around. And maybe that's the building up of the house again. Building up the house in a second way. Perhaps that's what it means. A Russia has no ability to attack in himself. Can't fix himself in the body. He's done so many horrible deeds. and He's done so many terrible things. But when the person changes bodies, when the person becomes a different person, there may be an ability for him to get everything better. And maybe that's what it means. You knock down the house and you build up the house again. If this is the Lord, then the Orchayim HaKadosh is hinting it may not be in one lifetime. It might be in the next lifetime. It might be that a person has to come back. And chas v'shalom, it should never happen. We should always be able to do everything we need to do in this world with everything that we have. We should be zocha to have tremendous hatzlacha and bracha and never have to worry about saras abatim and our houses, let alone in ourselves, in our own bodies. Have a good Shabbos, everyone.